0: Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah.
1: Welcome to GCF Second Service. I'm Kevin. I'm Caroline. And we're here to have Second, second Service. Second Service fun. Second Service <laughs> SSF? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't like SS fun. I feel like that's a Welcome bad. Welcome to the SS fun. No, oh, I see. Doo-doo. It's a ship, not yeah, the it's a not little, the bad thing.
2: Little train. Okay. Yeah. Oh, Scampi just knocked over a bunch of your shit. For the
1: listener at home, Scampy <laughs> just knocked down. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Today we're bringing you a little chat we had with an author with a reverend,
2: a reverend author,
1: the great a reverend author. It's a high hy- She's a hyphenate, a multi hyphenate <laughs> at that. It is the reverend author. Carol Howard Merritt.
2: Yes, who I found because I actually read her book, pulling it from a needle in the haystack of books at the Strand in New York.
1: That's right. After a listener was so kind to give us a little gift card. A gift to card. There. Yeah, so, so I bought sweet. that book
2: with it. And um, through that, just kind of got to know her and her style and looked her up. And we were like, what if we asked her to be on the podcast? Wouldn't that be cool?
1: And again... Every time we do this, it's like asking someone out on a date. There's a lot of nerves attached. There's
2: a lot of nerves. I kind of like straighten my tie before I walk through the door. (laughs) Because
1: there's always the possibility of rejection.
2: Right. Or just ignoring you.
1: Even worse. A fate worse than straight up rejection. But
2: that didn't happen. We got accepted. Carol went out to dinner with us. She said yes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And we had a great chat. You know, with Rachel Held Evans last week, we talked a lot about Proverbs 31, but this was more of a general chat about women in the church and some of the women that influenced her growing up and becoming a minister and working in ministry herself, as well as some of the women in Christian pop culture that influenced her as well. So we were delighted to uh, get a moment with her. And now we take you to that moment. <laughs> is, that a good, is that a good transition?
2: I like that. Cool. <laughs> Great.
1: Well, Caroline, I think it's time to finally finally Ooh. introduce our guest, shall we? Yes. Here please. we go. Well, folks, she is an author. She is a reverend. She has written such books as Tribal Church or Healing Spiritual Wounds. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Carol, Carol Howard. Howard Merrick! Merrick! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is this exciting even over Skype? <laughs> that? Woo!
0: Kevin's doing a dance.
1: your praise to the Lord. Come on, everybody. <laughs> I just imagine our Skype guests just sitting there like, okay, what do you want me to do?
0: <laughs> Checking your Twitter for a while. That is the most over-the-top introduction I've ever had. That's well, amazing. Well, you're
1: welcome. And thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, Carol, this is this is a big thrill for us.
0: It's great to be here. Thank you.
1: Did you grow up with any Amy Grant in the household? Were you listening to
0: Amy Grant? Oh yeah, <laughs> I wanted to be Amy Grant. Oh, really? Yes. Uh, oh yeah. I mean, like my, I still have the same hair. It's kind of embarrassing.
2: Well, <laughs> oh, that hair is so good. Are you talking about like the the 80s level hair with like a lot of floof and mm-hmm. waves? I think yeah. that's beautiful and timeless.
1: A lot of fluff, yes. And yeah. we we don't want to discourage you from keeping that. We no. want to encourage
0: Okay, you. good. Play
1: it up. That should be like our kind of uh, asterisk to the Proverbs 31 woman is like uh she makes fine linen, she owns a business, mm-hmm. she checks out the crops, she keeps whatever hairstyle she wants to regardless <laughs> of
0: <laughs> She rises <laughs> before decade. dawn to yeah. barrel curl her hair. Yeah,
1: that's right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's right. What that's it right. So, it still, it still looks like that Christmas album. Yes. Oh yeah, like you could just. Uh, I'm in Tennessee right now, so you can imagine. Tennessee Little snowflakes Christmas. behind me. Na, 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 na. That's that's me. Oh, love it! Wow, <laughs> what <Wrong song. laughs> a vision! Listen up.
1: <laughs> well, Carol, you have such an interesting story. We'd love to hear uh, what we call it on the podcast—is the guest testimony or the guestimony for short? Your background and experience with faith, and how you became. Well, you know, what you are now and what you're doing and your work in ministry. So Yeah,
0: take so it away. What take was it, it like growing
1: Did you grow up with faith at all in your household?
0: Yes, yes. I was a Baptist, Southern Baptist. My parents were very, very strict kind of fundamentalist Southern Baptist. I went to Moody Bible Institute. Mm-hmm. So, um went to pretty fundamentalist Baptist or it wasn't Baptist, but you know, Bible college. And when I was there, I really felt like I should become a pastor. Yeah, and that didn't go over well. (laughs) (laughs) At Moody, that
1: wasn't well received.
0: Yeah, no, no, they didn't like women ministers, and so... Um. So they called me feminazi a lot. They Whoa. did, actually? Yeah. Dang. Like classmates yeah.
1: or like teachers and staff?
0: Classmates. Okay. Classmates. Imagine your been. professor with like a would... slideshow. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. Like feminazi, it's a picture of Carol. Oh, no. Jeez. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. But my teachers would just kind of like take me aside and give me warnings that, you know, I was going to... Be shipwrecked, and, you know.
1: Gentle rebukes. Oh, what was right. Moody? Was Moody Bible Institute the first time you got an inkling of maybe wanting to become a pastor at all, or, or did it start before then?
0: Well, you know, it started before then. But when you're Southern Baptist and um, a woman, what you do is you become a missionary. Because you can do anything Mm. overseas. It's it's not really that anybody has a problem with you preaching to men of color. It's just the white men, right? (laughs) Yeah, it's like oh, you can go over there
2: and do whatever you want, but don't you dare try to teach like your uncles and
0: dads. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs)
1: That's really interesting. But yeah, it it kind of got. I feel like yeah. my experience growing up was that women could teach if it was within children's ministry or right. some like relegated, quote unquote, minor ministry within mm-hmm. the church where it wasn't a a shepherding role as it were. But um, Right.
2: You're really good at handling admin things and sure. then small men. Yeah. Admin <laughs> yeah. <and> small men. <laughs> Large <laughs> oh. men are not allowed. Oh, um, I man. Little yeah, boys. That was it. Yeah. That was it.
1: So when you were at Moody... What do you feel like emboldened you to actually start pursuing that, especially when it was so against the grain in an institute like that?
0: I was in uh, an internship in Africa, and I was standing before this congregation of hundreds of people, and they had me preaching like twice a day. And um, so I was standing in front of this congregation of hundreds of people, and I just looked around and I thought, Okay, why can I do this? You know, why can I preach to Mm -hmm. African men, but I'm not allowed to preach to white men? And so the whole racism component really hit me, Mm. really struck me in the face and my own hypocrisy that I was kind of living under. Mm. I thought, well, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. So I came home back to the United States, and I started going to a church with a woman pastor, and I was like, what? You know, there's no lightning bolts coming through the (laughs) ceiling. How did
2: did that feel for you to see a woman at the pulpit? Because it was a long time before I even ever saw that a church, and it was kind of
0: moving for me. Yeah, it was. It was very moving. And um, it gave me this sense of, wow, maybe I can do that. Maybe I'm supposed to do that. And, you know, the, the greatest thing, so I saw this woman, I would go to their church i would but I would just kind of sneak in, sneak out, and um her name was Annette Heisinga, and twenty years later, she calls me on the phone and asks if I wanted to teach seminary with her a seminary class with mm. her, and she had no idea I had gone to her church or that she had this huge effect on my life. Oh wow. She had just read a book and, you know, read one of my books and said, yeah, she sounds interesting. Looks, you know. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. Wow, so, yeah. so this, I know. So this person is, like, very much a part of my life now. We teach classes wow. together, and she's my dean. So, yes, oh, it's, so it's cool. really, it was really amazing. That's really awesome, yeah. and
1: I feel like that's something that, <laughs> as a white guy, you never, uh, at least growing up, you never think about, Oh, I can't, I can't be a certain thing because there's examples of white guys being more or less whatever they want to be, like yeah, as much a, a, yeah. a pastor as like a ballet dancer, or, you know, a woodworker, or, like, there, there's no, like, representation issues as far as, like, right. more, yeah, like, like, basically. I
2: see myself, even rapping, like, you have a white guy that does that, too. <laughs> yeah, <so, like>, <laughs> KJ52. Yeah, it's 52. not like, oh, I can't imagine myself not being there. And so it can be a really formative thing to, like, see someone like me up there, which is why representation's important.
0: Especially, I think, if you've been told, you know, all of your life, well, God doesn't want you to do this, you know that that's that becomes really conflicting, you know when you're you have this calling, you have this sense that you want to do this thing. you know I was like writing sermons in my bedroom when I was eight. <laughs> oh was whoa. Really, wow, yeah, I was a very nerdy kid. But you know.
1: so that was definitely your vocation, even from like a.
0: Oh yeah,
1: I didn't write anything when I was eight, much less a sermon.
2: I wrote some very yeah. pa- bad poetry about a sheep. I think. <laughs> so I, I, I did picked that up too.
1: <laughs> so did you like preach the sermons to your stuffed animals, oh. or like how did that? How did that work? Oh,
2: yeah. I bet. Uh, oh, yeah. so great. Yeah. I will say I like a small turning point for me when I, cause I was raised to like, women don't teach, they can work in the church, but yeah, they'll, they'll never like teach a chapel or teach a mm-hmm. church or everything or anything like that. Um, but the thing that started to like really make me come to the forefront of my mind and make me think about it was uh, my husband, uh, Nathan was going to Fuller seminary and there were like tons of women there who were going to be pastors. Yeah. And like you, like felt a very strong calling from God it just, when I started really thinking about that, I was like, it is crazy to just deny that all of them are wrong, you know, or like all of them are right. hearing something and people can definitely like misunderstand what God wants to do with their life or that kind of thing. But just hearing stories like yours too, and just so many other women were like, there's so many insurmountable odds against you and yet you still want to do this. There there has to be something to that.
0: And, you know, and you learn more about history and how many women have done amazing things. It's pretty inspiring.
1: So how did your faith evolve during this like portion, like kind of going back to when you were at Moody? Do you feel like the fact that you were like coming up against so much resistance within like those patriarchal structures that like your faith was tested at all or like you doubted God, how did that work out for you?
0: Oh, it was definitely tested. I mean, um, I wrote a lot about it in my last book, and um, one of the main struggles that I had was that I grew up in a pretty violent home.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: My father was uh really believed that the man should be the head of the household and that there shouldn't be any questioning or back talk and mm-hmm. and you know our our family just didn't work that way we were a normal family you know it was the 70s and the 80s and my brother and sister were were normal teenagers they were not writing sermons in their <laughs> bedrooms when they mm-hmm. were eight. <laughs> and, and, but I, I think this all like created a lot of pressure for my dad, and he was very violent. So I was sort of dealing with both the violence that I grew up with, and it really felt like the church was complicit in a lot of ways because— When I would tell people in the church about what was going on in our home and my mom would tell them, they would basically say that, you know, my husband or, you know, that the husband was the head of the household, that my father was the head of the household And that we needed to submit to him. And if I, you know, maybe if we were a little nicer, maybe if we were a little bit more compliant, then he wouldn't, uh, you know, lose his temper so much. It felt like the church was very complicit in the abuse in a lot of ways. So a lot of my struggle had to deal with just really Working through this, um, questioning complementarianism and and trying to figure out if this is wrong, then what sort of cultural things, you know, are there cultural things in the Bible that we can understand as belonging to a different day and a different age? And if so, what do we shed and what do we keep? And and, and so, all of that is Just a huge struggle, you know, and and finally, I just had to realize, like, oh, if I grew up knowing that I could be a doctor, a lawyer, a CEO of a company, of everything, you know, why would that change when I walked into the church? Why would there be equality in every realm of political life and of institutional life But the church would say the father had to be the head of the household. So it was a lot of unpacking all of this, um, along with my calling, along with a lot of those wounds that I really felt like I suffered through the church Mm -hmm. and and through the abuse that, that we went through. Going to Moody was huge for me because I had to... Really take apart my faith, and oftentimes I felt like, well, I, I just needed to walk away. Hmm. But my brain's not wired that way. Like, <laughs> you know, there's musicians who hear music and everything. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll they'll hear the microwave on, and they they know it's a B flat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, um, the, the microwave, yeah. you know, B-flat. and. and I, I can't do that, but, you know, but but I do see the world through this religious lens, and sometimes it's really annoying for, like, my daughter who says, <laughs> can't we just watch a movie? Do we have to, like... <laughs> Without the attached sermon or something? Now, have, have you taken <laughs> exactly. your daughter to
1: see Paddington 2 yet?
0: <laughs> no, you know, she's, she's 16 now, so... I, th- We're I still just think she'll love it. it.
2: <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Kevin okay. is, what, you're 28, 29?
0: I'm a, tw- I'm a 28-year-old man. <laughs> He's a
2: 28-year-old man. I'm a 28 And you loved man, it? And I love it so much. Yeah,
1: I've seen it four times. Uh, <laughs> it's really wow. terrific. Kevin maybe
2: loves it like too much, but d- don't let that dissuade you. There's a lot of Christ-like <laughs> character
1: in Paddington. I'll, I'll let you uh, I think so figure it out when you, when yeah, you see it. Yeah, I think
0: you'll catch on. But anyway, yeah, so, All right.
1: so you see everything through that lens.
2: It's exactly yeah. so
0: you know that's that's how my brain's wired would you say that
2: because of that that whole mixing up of church and family and dad that it felt often like that kind of abusive church vibe and god were the same person and that unwrapping that was difficult
0: yeah that was that was sort of one of the biggest things I had to learn. And um, so my story very much was we use all these metaphors for God, but one of the most powerful metaphors that we use is father and mm-hmm. we pray our father who art in heaven. So for me, abuse um, was really tangled up in my metaphor for God all the normal things that children who are abused go through, it was sort of compounded because of the religious peace within that. When you suffer any sort of spiritual trauma or religious abuse, you have to somehow untangle that from your concept of God, from your understanding of God. That was an important part of my journey. Mm. And part of me was beginning to understand God as feminine. I mean, mm-hmm. we talk about being born again all the time, but we we don't realize, like, yeah, well, if we're born of the metaphor. spirit. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly, huh. exactly. So I've that's like the, that. central, the central metaphor that I used all the time, but then it was hard for me to think of God other than Father. I was like, oh, but wait, I have been talking about God as Mm. mother for all of my life. I tell that story, and that's very, it's unique to me. I know a lot of people are like, oh, my gosh, my mother was the one who was abusive. That would be terrible. Yes, that to, doesn't help. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. So it, it doesn't work for everybody, but that's why there are so many words for God, so many um, symbols for God, so many uh, ways in which we connect with God.
2: Yeah, because for, for as many personalities and people there are in the world, there are that many probably experiences or lenses to t- describe what God is like. I will say this will sound like a paid advertisement but it's not but uh, your your book uh, about healing spiritual wounds talks a lot about this very problem of disentangling um like abuse or, or just misconceptions from what God actually is or what could be for you. And that mm-hmm. was really instrumental for me. And, and one of the reasons I even wanted to reach out to you, because that was just so helpful and has been like, a, honestly, a very big launching point to like help me reform a lot of the ways I think about God or think about myself and God. And so thank
0: you for that. That's really helpful. Oh Well, thank you for the feedback. It's, it's always wonderful to know that people are reading it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, for sure. Available in paperback now. <laughs> yes. Wherever books
2: are sold. It is indeed. <laughs> um, so this is a Proverbs 31 month, Give like Good Christian book. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> what is
1: your relationship to Proverbs 31 been?
2: Yeah, like what did in- you used to think it is or how you feel about it now? Or do you feel anything about it?
0: Oh Well, it's a, it's a little scary for me. Like, um... I start having PTSD and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> <laughs> Crafting about various about it, verses you know, from like that oh, onto stuff. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it was always trotted out like on Mother's Day, or yes. I remember I took a charm class, a Christian charm no, class called Grubby to Grace. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> <Grubby degrees? laughs> Now that's clever. Yes. I will say Story yes. of
1: my life. <laughs>
0: so they would talk about like the Proverbs 31 woman, but the funny thing was, was like kind of back then, they were really looking down on women who worked outside of the home. Mm-hmm. And so I just remember remember them saying things like we'd read this, and then they were like, "But you're not allowed to work outside of the home." <laughs> and you're like, "What?" <laughs> but wait, she that's was really at the weird. Yeah, that's place. like a very plain,
2: uh, part very of
1: it. incompatible. Yeah.
0: As I was thinking about this, Peter ends had a podcast, and he was talking about how the structure of proverbs is set up. So that it was written for young men who were getting ready for courtly, for the court. So throughout Proverbs, they're given like these two images. Mm-hmm. There's the foolish woman, and then there's the wise woman. And the foolish woman is sort of, we'll, we'll say she was a sex worker, I think. Mm-hmm. or she was, you know, the the woman, maybe a, you know, whatever. I don't want to slut shame the Proverbs, <laughs> <there>. <laughs> the Proverbs woman. No, but, but I know what you know. mean. Like, she's like brassy
2: and loud and she's not yeah. in places where she's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, Right, right. And she's
0: like the personification
2: so, of foolishness, basically. Yeah. Yes.
0: <laughs> yes. But then there's this comparison with, you know, this virtuous woman at the end. I think what he was saying was that These two persons that were set up to kind of show men what they should be attracted to. They should be attracted to Mm -hmm. wisdom rather than folly. I kind of liked that. Yeah, there's even some reads
1: and interpretations of Proverbs 31 where it's not even a literal woman, but the woman described, quote unquote, as the personification of wisdom.
2: Yes. Right. Yes, like, this exactly. is what just wise people do, not right.
0: necessarily what women should be. Doing.
1: The wise man be like.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And then the other thing I was reading into it this time around was I was, the last verse says, give her a share in the fruit of her hands. Hmm. And I just thought, well, I wonder if that's some sort of like profit sharing.
2: Yeah, right. I think know, so.
0: Yeah, was well, that about yeah. the like,
1: the pay gap?
0: <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think we could say wow. that <laughs> equal share. Very
1: progressive. Ahead
0: of their time. That's what that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. I'm thinking that's a a little um yeah, it would be wise if you gave us a little more profit. <laughs> for all yes,
1: so, what kind of women? From the Bible, do you feel like you like to focus on in your own teaching and preaching? If it's not oh. the Proverbs 31 woman, like what what do you find yourself gravitating towards in your own stuff?
0: Reading the Bible as an adult, you just get this whole different viewpoint. Like, you know, Ruth, how amazing she must have been to stick with Naomi, number one. Mm-hmm. And then number two, she, you know, she's seducing Boaz. And just like the incredible resilience of what women will do to survive in such harsh cultures. And um, I think the one thing that really kind of shocked me into looking at Ruth differently was there's a common English version of the Bible. And I was reading that for some reason. And it said something about Ruth being in the fields and Boaz tells the and you know and I'm, I'm thinking this really like beautiful scene you know where they they let the women go into the fields after the hands were done and and sort of the farm workers would leave a little grain here and there mm-hmm. for the poor people to go through and pick up the grains and then there's this little line in there where Boaz says, tells the, the field workers don't molest her. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, what? (laughs) Like, (laughs) why would he have to tell them that? Mm -hmm. And I mean, there's only one reason why he would have to tell them that is because it was common practice that these women would be molested by the field hands. Mm -hmm. Like, so I was like, is there something else going on here? You know, is there, was that what was going on? Was that what happened? And and um, so these stories, you just get a whole different perspective. And um, so, yeah, Ruth is amazing, and Esther is unbelievable. I mean, this woman who... Can't even go into the same room with her husband without the fear of being killed. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about domestic violence, you know. and Right. And, and
2: She's like a sex slave basically in his household too. So just you got exactly. that trauma going on, like that messing with your yeah. self-esteem and then going on to, yeah, defy him even.
0: Yeah. She's part of his harem, you know, like mm-hmm. she was, I mean, she was probably like put in there when she was 14. Yeah was basically just taught beauty treatments and how to satisfy him. And so here she is like sticking up for all of her people after being basically raped since she was a child.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And even Mary, you know, I think we we do, we don't really think about that. She was facing being stoned. Yeah. The thing that like really shocked me into thinking of Mary differently Was during the Arab Spring and Twitter was just becoming a thing. And I had a friend from high school who was working for NPR. His name was Andy Carvin. He put on Twitter like an actual pamphlet of how to stone a woman. And it was, you know, kind of this modern pamphlet. And it showed that you buried or you dug this hole. She's buried from the, like, waist down. Gosh. And then it showed this picture of men, I mean, yeah, men throwing rocks at this woman. And it was so horrifying when I saw it. And then I just realized how much I had completely glossed over Mary's story, Mm. you know. It's like she was in hiding for nine months because she would have had that same fate.
2: Yeah, like the horror that was trailing her heels all the time as she was doing this. Do you
1: feel like in the last couple years as – Kind of the climate of our culture has changed, and especially when it comes to things like women's rights and the Me Too movement. Do you feel like Mm -hmm. your job has changed at all, at least not, of course, the core of what it is, but maybe in the way that you've communicated certain truths from the Bible?
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's the really, really exciting part about being a woman minister, because I mean, if you think about it, you can go back in history and see there are certain women who were ordained like 100 years ago, but but it wasn't really a common practice until 50 years ago. And really, women haven't been able to step into the role fully until um, the last 25, 30 years. Mm -hmm. So if you think about Christianity as being this 2,000-year tradition, 30 years is just this really, really tiny Mm. portion of time. And so it's super exciting right now because we are in this place where women are speaking and interpreting the Bible, not for the first time, because certainly there's been women who have been reading and teaching for all those 2,000 years. Mm -hmm. But they have a different sort of voice at this moment. I mean, Mm -hmm. we have women theologians who are respected in the academy. And yeah, for me personally, I'm always aware of that moment that I'm standing in. I might be the first woman preacher that somebody sees, that I might be the first one that somebody hears mm. it's very awe inspiring
1: yeah the fact that it, it's only been the last 20 to 30 years you're pretty much part of the first wave yeah of those doing right. publicly Absolutely. in this space
0: and you know i still meet people all the time who have never known a woman minister or never met a woman minister and it's pretty exciting but there is also reading the scripture in light of the Me Too movement, and you know you can't look at Bathsheba in the same way that I was taught. Totally. And I was taught that you know Bathsheba was was somehow a temptress, and right, like somehow... she
2: wanted it, and
0: exactly mm-hmm. yep. for
2: for those that may not be familiar, Bathsheba. Um, do you want to quickly just kind of tell her story?
0: Yeah, sure. Um King David, the story goes, he was out on his rooftop and he saw Bathsheba and she was taking a bath. So he fell in love with her and killed her husband and then made her his wife. And I've heard lots and lots of sermons about how she tempted him. Yeah. And... um Clearly, he was the one in charge. He was the king. (laughs) He he couldn't
2: have been more in charge (laughs) of the situation. Yeah, but I I think I was probably taught similarly, too, of like, it it was like a warning of don't use your sexual wiles for bad purposes. Or or like, this is what can happen. Because King David is huge. He's widely revered. He's written most of the Psalms that we know and so it's like if she could even take this good man down, like she must have really been turning it on. But in reality, like, like I think you're implying, like she was very much out of control in this situation. And this was just him taking her and taking her life, basically.
0: Yeah. I mean, she, she was just taking a bath. <laughs> yeah, she <was> just <laughs> <it> up.
1: <laughs> I want to see that on a coffee mug. Yeah. Hey, I was just taking a bath.
2: It's <laughs> so it's Yeah, up.
0: like I I know could, you didn't have to kill my husband. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, it was just bath time, not murder time. <laughs> yeah, I remember. This is making me recall like how many times I heard that sermon where it's like, at first glance, it may seem like Bathsheba is innocent, but at second glance. Why would she be bathing out on the roof in clear view oh of David? And like, like suddenly it was like, oh yeah, like I should have thought of that oh first—that she was the bad one in this situation. But you know, David did some bad stuff, but it wouldn't have happened if she didn't kick it off. Yikes. But yeah, it's, <laughs> but when you're in this kind of moment in society, too, you're like, wait, that's
0: lit- that's so crazy. Yeah, it's like, what was she wearing? Yeah, yeah exactly. When she was raped,
2: right? And it's like, okay, even if we want to imagine that she was deliberately tempting him, that's probably some kind of survival instinct that she needed to do also. Like if, if we even need to go there, but
1: right. But I don't right. think we have
2: to, I don't think it's much easier to imagine David just wanting her.
1: I don't think, yeah, that's the yeah. most salient point yeah. of that story. <laughs> yeah, not yeah.
2: like what we need.
1: So this is why modest is hottest young ladies. <laughs> that's Pretty not what much. we're looking
0: for. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah.
1: Well, we want to ask you about your relationship to Christian pop culture as well because yeah, this so is so, we normally
2: talk about so much
1: of what this show is about what were, what was your exposure to it what was your relationship to it growing up
0: you know it was it was interesting because i had an older brother an older sister and they weren't as much into like being Christian as I was, <laughs> so I was exposed to the world and the secular music. Mm. The world, <laughs> yes. But contemporary Christian music was uh, a big deal, and my mom was writing for Charisma magazine. And I'm not um, familiar
1: with this magazine. What is this?
0: Is really, seriously,
1: Charisma yeah, magazine? Uh, me neither. No. Really?
0: Neither one of you yeah. are? Okay. I know CCM so,
1: magazine.
0: Yeah, CCM. Do you know Relevant? Magazine? I do yes. know
1: Relevant, yes.
0: Okay, so the father of the guy who started Relevant mm-hmm. started Charisma magazine. Oh, okay. So it's probably like the largest Christian magazine in the country. Wow. It's larger than Christian Century and Christianity Today. Um, wow. So anyways she was writing for that and and one of the editors would come by and he had um so he would always have the newest CCM album and so I would listen oh, yes. to it and then I had a youth youth group they would tell us like we needed to to destroy our secular music
2: yeah.
1: and, <laughs> in, our, in our youth group we took all of our secular CDs and similar to your "From Grubby to Grace" project, we made them yes. into giant disco balls.
2: Oh my uh-huh. god! <laughs>
1: so, you, so if you walked in, you know, on a certain youth group night, you would just see like the exposed CDs of like the Titanic soundtrack.
2: On,
0: like, oh, praise
1: the Lord, we got rid of the Very, filth on the Titanic yeah, soundtrack. That worldly.
2: <laughs>
0: Yeah, but, but it was so funny because you'd go into these Christian bookstores, and then there, there were these charts that said, "If you like you yes. too, mm-hmm. then you'll love jars of clay." Yeah. <laughs> I, I like, guess <laughs> comparison
2: charts. Do you sure. remember yeah, we yeah we've had other people talk about that too, and <laughs> yeah. it blows my mind that they're just like bald faced. <laughs> Here's a I dupe know. of it. So funny.
0: Or you're not allowed to listen to this music. But right. we are copying it. So <laughs> for now it's good. Yeah. I don't know
1: you two. What do they sound
2: fun. like? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you had kind of like the hot CDs right as they were coming out.
1: Do you remember any of your jams from back then? I know, I know we talked before uh, recording. You were really into Leslie Phillips at the
0: time. Yes, yes, definitely. Leslie Phillips now, Sam Phillips. Oh, yes. Um, was probably my favorite, and uh, just really loved her music and her sound and what she said. Although I was listening to um, some of the earlier earlier stuff today, and I was like, "Wow!" I guess they were trying to sell her as like the uh, Christian Cindy Lauper. Oh yeah, because <laughs> if you like Cindy Lauper, then you'll yes. love <laughs> Leslie Phillips.
1: I will say. Uh, I, I did get to interview the artist currently known as Sam Phillips a few years ago. Yeah. And within the course of the interview, I did bring up just in the briefest of moments like, oh yeah, you know, and you had a whole career before uh, your current stuff and before working on Gilmore Girls, you were, you know, marketed as the Christian Cindy Lauper. And that's the only thing, maybe one of a handful of things that someone has asked me to go back and cut out of an interview. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know why. Yeah. No shade to her. She's great. And I, you know, we've enjoyed seeing each other every time since then. Mm-hmm. But it was just an interesting, I think, for her, because she's an interesting, maybe one of the first breed of like crossover artists to really go, like, I'm literally changing my name because I don't want to be a part of this industry yeah, anymore. I don't think I've
0: ever heard something that started. Right. The thing I loved about her mm-hmm. was that she always had these like really haunting lyrics i mean they were piercing and they were true and um you know she would sing things like answers don't come easy and Mm -hmm. she started one song just saying like i get so tired of myself Uh. jaded by shame it just felt so like true i can't One thing that, so I had a few friends who were involved in, in CCM, and so I heard this rumor. I don't know if it's true at all, but her album, her record label was trying to get her to pep it up, you know? Oh, really? And uh <laughs> Do some more yeah. positive jams? Yes, yes. And then and, she handed um,
1: them lamentations.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I just remember because it was about the same time when I was going through such a crisis of faith, just hearing that, thinking, oh, okay, we're not allowed to
2: talk about it. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. To be like, that's allowed to feel uh, disengaged and like confused and out of it. Yeah. Like 100% all about, sing your
0: praise to the Lord. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Come on,
2: everybody.
1: (laughs) Well, and I feel like, thankfully, because it splintered so much, there's so much more room for that in the current Christian landscape. Because, I mean, again, Mm -hmm. this is the height of Leslie Phillips stuff was, you know, mid-80s. So CCM didn't really exist as it did until the 70s. So Mm -hmm. she would be, again, part of that first wave of, Right. For sure, female singer songwriters of this particular genre, so they're probably very precious. Uh, unfortunately, with how she communicated her stuff,
0: huh. yeah, she kind of went through her transformation at the same time I was going through my transformation. Oh wow! And it felt like she kept talking to me through oh, these the songs. So cool. Do
1: you still check yeah. out like the, her stuff that she does now? Is Sam Phillips.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not, you know, as wholly dedicated as I was.
1: (laughs) uh, (laughs) It'd be weird if you were. But
0: I know, but certainly I love Gilmore Girls and love hearing her new stuff. And it just feels like home whenever Mm -hmm. I hear it, you know.
1: Do you feel like Lorelai Gilmore is a Proverbs 31 woman?
0: <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure either. I'm not sure if Midge
1: Maisel is either.
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: yes. she for sure is.
1: Yeah. Oh, boy. Well, Carol, this has been an absolute treat. Thank you so much for talking with us and yes. for the conversation. Where can people find you online and, and what do you want to, to plug before we go?
0: I blog for the Christian Century. It's a little hard to find, but you know I'm on there. Christian, Christian Century. Century, okay. Just Google um, it, everyone. Christian Century. Yeah, there Do you the go. Work. There you go. <laughs> Carol Howard Merritt. The book just came out in paperback, so that's a. It's yes, healing that's spiritual good. wounds. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I guess I'm mostly on Twitter. You know, I, I'm, that's probably my. Uh, Social media platform of choice.
1: Sure. And what's your Um, handle on there?
0: At Carol Howard.
1: At Carol Howard. Oh, great. You didn't have to add any numbers to it or anything. Lucky
0: you. No, I've been on there for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great.
1: Nice. Well, thanks again for the conversation, Carol. We really appreciate it.
2: Yeah, thank you for the time and for sharing your story. It's so great. Well, thank you for having me on.
1: What a good chat. She's so cool. Yeah, that was, you know what? I think we're getting the hang of this Skype thing together, (laughs) if you ask me.
2: The knobs you had to fiddle with to get that to work. (laughs) Oh, man, the
1: knobs. But it
2: was worth it. I loved hearing from her, and I loved hearing, um, I don't know, I never realized that, being a female uh, reverend, a minister, she's kind of still on the first wave of women that are doing that. And that's got to be a real cool position for her. So,
1: That's a really interesting cool perspective. So, yeah, check out her books. Check out her stuff <laughs> online. And, for hey, for fans of both podcasts, she did write a little blog entry about the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Hey. So check it out, y'all. Yeah. So thanks for listening, guys. This will be our final second service of Proverbs 31 month where we're talking to interesting women. We're never going to talk to interesting women again. That's it. After this well, episode. how many
2: could there be? I mean, how
1: many? <laughs> we, we found them all. Uh, but we do maybe possibly have a little special announcement about the future of GCF Second Services next month. Well, next month. Well, technically next month because it will be March. Next yep. week slash next month. So stay tuned for that. And we'll see you next time on GCF.
2: And all pods people said, Said, Amen. Amen. Sure.